For the past several months, the liturgy has been giving us the grand tour of the Church's wealth of liturgical insight. If autumn is any indication of the natural decline of things, the liturgy mirrors this process by circling around the themes of death, the vanity of earthly pursuits, and our final dwelling place. The monastic community has been hearing at the Office of Vigils readings from the books of Proverbs and Wisdom, reminding us of the all-pervading will of God in the order and cycles of creation. With the feasts of the archangels and guardian angels, the commemoration of the great harvest of souls in the feasts of all saints and all the faithful departed, we have presented to us the whole makeup of the cosmic and supernatural order. At last, today, we arrive at the culmination of the whole of the economy of salvation. Christ the King is more than just the hinge between so-called ordinary time and the season of Advent, which we begin next week. It is both the glorious crowning of the receding year and a passing admonition for all of us to shift our loyalties from this transient world to the stable and everlasting kingdom of heaven. We know that our life is not our own, and that one day all of us will stand in judgment before the throne of God. The liturgical hymn, the Dies Irae, which we sing every day of the last week on the Church's calendar, warns us of this future meeting in the words, Lo, the book exactly worded, wherein all hath been recorded, thence shall judgment be awarded. A sobering thought, indeed. However, we have nothing to worry about if we know where our true loyalties lie. While the Feast of Christ the King may appear intimidating in its implications of divine judgment and retribution, it is just as important to focus on all the reasons why we should love and revere such a king. After all, why go out of our way to show reverence to a God who technically has no need of anyone or anything to give him what, he, what is his due? He is supreme and infinitely perfect in himself. So what's all the fuss? The short answer is that our worship is not necessary for God's sake, but for our own sake. Like any great monarch of old, the royal splendor that followed upon the office of king was as much for the person in authority as it was for the people that served him. God desires that we ourselves should be incorporated into his life by surrounding us with proofs of his grandeur and extravagant love. He does this primarily through the liturgy through his donation of eternal life in Holy Communion. If the liturgy itself is not enough to convince us of God's goodness, we can take, for example, the fact that the Gospels never portray Christ as a domineering and despotic overlord. Quite the opposite. Jesus reveals his complete sovereignty through humility, gentleness, weakness, through his acceptance of death on the cross for our sakes. He even tells his apostles that as they are to imitate him, they are not to act as the rulers of the Gentiles do, making their power felt over their subjects. When standing before Pontius Pilate, 
Jesus does not assert his right as king of the Jews, for as he says, my kingdom is not of this world. To bow beneath the scepter of Christ the king is not the same as submission to any earthly authority, which may or may not have our well-being in mind. It is, rather, to submit to one's greatest good and the lover of one's whole being. We show fealty to a Lord who is not ignorant of the labors of his serfs and the bitterness of poverty. Jesus became like us in all things except sin. His power, then, extends unto our very persons, including our sufferings. Following on this last point, we can see why the liturgy provides us with today's gospel for further meditation. In it, we hear that Jesus' sovereignty necessitates our feeding the hungry, welcoming the stranger, clothing the naked, and visiting the ill and imprisoned. This implies that we ourselves are the hands and feet of Christ on earth, and therefore extensions of his reign. As fellow sons and daughters of the King, we have an obligation to extend clemency towards the rest of the world precisely because of our higher calling. In imitating the courteousness of the Master, we are, as it were, practicing for our future life in the heavenly court, where the angels and saints will be our neighbors. As we cap off another liturgical year with today's feast, may we take the liturgy as our example for life. When all is said and done, will our short time on earth culminate in the reign of Christ over our souls? As the scriptures say, no one makes a fool of God. Either we are for him or we are against him. So if we're on the right track, then there is in fact cause for rejoicing. Let us then, while there is still time, approach the seat of mercy in Holy Communion and enthrone the Lord upon our hearts, that our wills may be in perfect harmony with his.